Well, good morning, Canyon Hills. And good morning to all of you who are joining us on our live stream services this morning. My name is Matt, and I'm the adult pastor here at Canyon Hills Friends. And it's just so great to be here in this room and fellowship with all of you today and joining all of you in your virtual rooms online this morning. It's just so great to be here. You know, the last couple months have been some very difficult months for all of us, pretty much. We've seen our world become consumed by the news of the coronavirus, by pandemic, mobs, riots, protests, looting, violence, injustice, corruption. We've seen political mudslinging and slandering, and it's hard to escape it. It's in the news feeds, it's in our social media pages, it's in magazines, it's in books, it's in newspapers that we get. We see it on billboards, it flashes up on our TV. It's almost like we can't escape it, and it's overwhelming. And not only that, we're witnessing things that we never thought that we would see or even experience in our lifetime. Things like our economy basically shutting down. Places like movie theaters and restaurants and bars and sporting arenas and retail shops all closing their doors and saying we can't come in. And churches moving away from in-person gatherings and more towards an online platform. These are difficult things for us to really reconcile and figure out how we deal with them, how we respond to them. And not only that, there's this fear and panic on top of all of it, thinking, what if I do have the coronavirus? What if I get somebody sick? What if somebody in my family has it? And that fear, it makes us panicked. We don't know what's going to happen when we go out. We don't know who we're going to encounter, or if they're going to be taking this as seriously as maybe we are in our own lives. And even in our own homes, maybe we're really struggling. Maybe you have been diagnosed with the coronavirus. Maybe at home you've got somebody who's sick or you know somebody who's struggling. Maybe you desperately need to have some kind of surgery, but it's seen as just elective and not medically necessary. So it keeps getting pushed back and back and back, and yet you're sitting there riling in pain as if nobody really cares. And not only that, but maybe the fear and panic are setting in because you've lost your job or you've been furloughed or your hours have been cut. And you don't know how you're going to make ends meet. You don't know how you're going to put money or or food into your family and put food on the table. And yeah, the government gave us the stimulus check, but it's just kind of like a pat on the back. It doesn't do much. It doesn't really get us what we need. And then that fear starts to escalate. Man, I've got to go out and I've got to provide for my family. I've got to go to the grocery store and get the essentials. Who am I going to encounter? Are they going to be wearing a face mask? Are they not going to be wearing a face mask? Are they going to stay socially distant from me? Are they going to be all up in my space? I don't know. And that panic, it starts to control the way that we react, the way that we think, and the things that we say, especially when we go out into public. These are some very trying times that we currently find ourselves in. And it maybe, just maybe, is starting to seem like there is no end in sight, that we're just stuck in this deep, dark valley that we don't know how to get out of. You know, it's interesting, this word valley is actually defined in the English language as an elongated depression in the surface of the earth. But it's long been linked to this idea of a low point in someone's life, a depressing point or a hardship that someone goes through, a valley in their life. And we all have them. It happens to every single one of us. We have valleys of different shapes and different sizes, but at some point we find ourselves there. So what I want to do this morning as we continue in our series called God Cares is really to take a look at the valley we currently find ourselves in, the hardship, the tough moments, the deep, dark, depressing moment in the reality of our situation, and to find some hope, 
some hope in knowing that God isn't just the God of our mountaintop experiences, but God's the God of our valleys as well. God meets us in our valleys. You know, it makes me think of a passage in scripture from the book of Psalms. It's found in Psalms 23, 4, and it says this, even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. You know, it's really interesting as I was researching this passage, I was reading a lot of scholarly articles that were in-depth studying this and, and David who wrote this and what he was really referring to. And a lot of scholars actually believe that in Israel, there's this canyon that exists. It's actually called the canyon or the valley of the shadow of death. It's this wide opening that kind of has this major road that goes through it. And eventually, as you get into the canyon, it gets narrower and narrower and narrower to where it's maybe about 10, 15 feet wide, and the walls go up almost 800 feet on either side of you. And they say that it was called the Valley of the Shadow of Death because the only time that it was light, that there was any kind of warmth in the midst of this canyon, was when the sun was directly overhead. Because the walls were so high, if the sun wasn't right overhead, the valley would be covered in darkness. And when it was covered in darkness, it was an opportunity for thieves and robbers and corrupt people to go in and take advantage of travelers going through the canyon. So much so that people would die in this canyon. And so it was called the valley of the shadow of death because when the sun wasn't overhead, shadow filled the canyon and so did death. And it's this really interesting picture to try to imagine what that scene would have looked like to be standing in the midst of this canyon. You know, there's actually a place that's not too far from here, about eight hours from here, that I love to go. One of my favorite places in the world that reminds me a lot of this picture. And it's a place that's found in Zion National Park in Utah. If you guys have never been there, I strongly encourage you to go. It's just this amazing, beautiful place. And there's this specific hike that's called the Narrows. And the Narrows look like this. It's just this picturesque view. It's this beautiful thing. It's where the Virgin River cuts through Zion National Park and it's carved out this canyon over the years, creating spaces that are maybe 15, 30 feet wide at most and over a thousand feet tall on either side. It's just breathtaking and spectacular to be standing inside of this valley. So much so that in 2017, when I was the youth pastor here, I decided to take our entire youth group to Zion for our summer camp. And we actually hiked through the narrows. And it was an amazing, here's a picture of us as we were standing in the middle of the narrows itself with our group. And I remember as we were walking through the narrows, one of our students was falling a little bit behind. And so I approached them and I said, hey, you know, what's going on? Are you having fun? Are you enjoying your time? And they responded, no. And at first I thought, well, this is your blend of people don't like hiking, you know, or they do like hiking, just high school students don't like hiking or doing things that they're told to do. But anyway, so I was like, you know, what's going on? Why aren't you having fun here? And the response startled me. The response was this, man, I really want to look up and take in the sights, but I find myself so focused at looking down because the way that the current is pushing against us, I'm having a hard time walking through the water. Not only that, but the rocks underneath the current have become so slippery over the years of the water going through, my footing isn't secure. I feel like I'm going to slip and I'm going to fall. And not only that, my feet are freezing because the water is cold and I didn't listen to you and prepare adequately enough. And so she found herself in this situation where she was just miserable. She was just overwhelmed and she's like, I really can't really take in the full gratitude and the amazing sight that we're in because I'm forced to look down at what's happening in front of me. 
And so I pulled everybody off to the side and I stopped the group and I said, let's just pause here for a minute and just breathe. Let's just get our feet on dry ground, on solid foundation, and then let's just take it in. Let's just look. And what's really ironic is as I was preparing this message, this situation came up to me. And it made me think, how many of us need this kind of response in the middle of the situation that we find ourselves in right now? Maybe, just maybe, you're going through this time, this pandemic, and you feel that the current of the world is pushing against you. It's trying to tell you what to do, what to say, how you should react. And they're trying to influence you and, and push you a certain way. And not only that, but the ground in which you're standing on, maybe it's a little bit slippery, maybe it's a little bit rocky, where you don't know what's going to happen when you go out to the store because there are people who are eager to pull out their cell phones and start recording to make you public enemy number one for something you say or something you do. Not only that, but maybe you feel unprepared for the situation that you're in right now. That you wish you could have gotten ready for it, but it's just so overwhelming, you're not ready to fully grasp the gravity of this situation. And what I find so meaningful in this example and so meaningful in this story was our response, was just to stop, to put our feet on the solid ground, and then to look for the beauty in our situation. And I think that's what we need to do right now, folks. We need to stop. We need to put our foundation in Jesus Christ and to see the beauty that maybe he's trying to reveal in the midst of this pandemic, in the midst of what's going on. Because even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we fear no evil, for God is with us. You see, there's a couple things about valleys I think that we need to understand before we can really unpack this and understand the valleys that we're in right now. And the first thing that we really need to understand is this. It's that valleys, if you look at it, they're a part of life. Valleys are a part of our everyday life. They're inevitable. You can't escape them. You can't get away from them. They happen to every single one of us. You're either in a valley, you're coming out of a valley, or you're going into another valley, right? It's, you're in a valley. It's a natural part of our life. We're going to face discouragement. We're going to face doubts. We're going to face hardships. We're going to face all of these things that are going wrong in our life, but we have to recognize that they are a part of our life. But even though that's the case, God still meets us in our valleys, you know, there's a story back about 2,900 years ago. There was a king in Israel by the name of Ahab. And Ahab was not very well liked by the Syrians. So the Syrians got together and said, we want to remove Ahab from power. So they got 32 warring nations together and they declared war against Israel and against Ahab. And in this amazing battle, God miraculously hands victory over to the Israelites and defeats the Syrians, causing them to retreat. Well, sometime later, as we read in the book of Kings, that the generals got together and said, we still don't like Ahab. We still want him to be removed from power. So let's get together and let's try again. Let's learn from our mistakes. Let's learn from our past and let's go forward again. And look what they did starting up here in verse number 23. It says the Syrian military advisors went to their king and they explained Israel's gods are the gods of the hills. Last time we fought them, we fought them in the hills, and that's why they defeated us. So they get this bright idea, and they say, hey, check this out. They have a God, and their God is in the hills. Their God is in the countryside, and we fought them in the countryside, so that's why we lost. If we go into the valley, there is no God there. The valley is their weak spot. So let's go and attack them in their valleys, because God's only God of the hill and not God's of the valleys. 
So they gathered this massive army together and they made their way towards the valley. So much so that look what it says here in the next part of this verse, verse 27. The Syrian forces, they covered the whole countryside, but the Israelites looked like two little flocks of goats. This is an outnumbered battle. This is a huge battle. This is like 100,000 Syrian troops to 7,000 puny Israelite troops. It's going to be a bloodbath, but the joke's on them. Because look what it says in this next verse. Because the Syrians think I'm only the God of the hills and not that I'm God of the valleys, I'm going to give you victory over this huge army so everyone will know that I am the Lord. You guys hear that? God is saying, look, I'm not just the God of your mountaintop experiences. I'm not just the God of your hills. I'm God of the midst of your valleys. When you're going through hardships, when you're going through pain, when you're going through suffering, when you have doubts, when you have discouragement, when you're feeling defeat and overwhelming anxiety and fear, I'm God. I'm still God there. And yeah, maybe some of us, we have mountaintop experiences and the view from these peaks, they're fantastic because everything seems like it's going great. But these peaks are few and far in between. See folks, the reality is this, that most of us, we live our lives in the valleys. We do. We live our lives in the valleys. And unfortunately, because of the color of your skin, the job profession you have, who you vote for, the way that you act or the things that you do, some of us are in deeper, darker valleys for longer periods of time. And it's unfair. It is unfair. But regardless of the valley we're in, this passage needs to come back to our mind that says, even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, no matter what valley you are in, fear not, for I am. And with you. For I am with you. And that's why we need to recognize, as I said earlier, that valleys, they are a normal part of our life. They're a part of our everyday life. And the sooner that we can understand that and grab a hold of that, the sooner we can begin to work through that. And I actually believe that valleys are a part of God's plan for our lives. You know, in Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 11, it says, the promised land you're about to enter is a land of hills and valleys. Now, metaphorically speaking, I see this as the promised land was their plan from God. And God, we can pull that and understand God saying, look, I have a plan for your life, but guess what? It's going to be full of hills and it's going to be full of valleys. And the sooner you can grab hold of that, the sooner you can recognize that, the sooner you can begin to work through them. The sooner you can begin to conquer through and push through these valleys that you're experiencing. So valleys are a part of our normal everyday life. The second thing we need to know about valleys is this. Valleys, they happen to everyone. Every single one of us goes through valleys. They're inevitable. They're a part of our life. And they're unbiased. Good things happen to bad people. Bad things happen to good people. If you were to read a little bit later in the book of Psalms 34, it says, The good man does not escape all troubles, for he has them too. But the Lord helps him in each and every one. See, we live in a broken world. We live in a sin-filled failure world. And as a result of it, we're going to have valleys. We're going to have hardships. It's going to happen to every single one of us. But God is saying, fear not, because I am with you. You're going to experience it. It's a part of your life, and it happens to everyone, but you don't have to be afraid of them. Which brings me to my third point about valleys. And the third point about valleys is this, is that valleys are unpredictable. They're unpredictable, and that's the problem with valleys. You can't plan for them. You can't prepare for them. Wouldn't it be great if you could just wake up one day and say, man, I'm caught up on my sleep. That would be a great statement to say just in and of itself. I'm caught up on my sleep. You know, everything is going great in my life. Nobody's nagging me or bothering me. All right, God, bring it on. Let's take some valleys today. 
never happens that way. It comes when you're unprepared. It comes when you're not ready, when you don't have the resources, when you're not expecting it. And I can attest to this because this, this month, this year has been a valley for my family. You know, most of you know, my son Oliver was born prematurely last December and he spent some time in the NICU. And we finally got to bring him home just before Christmas and it was a time of celebration. And as we went into the new year, we started realizing there were a few things wrong with Oliver. One of them being he had something called torticollis. If you have a child, maybe you know what this is, but pretty much it's the tightening of muscles on one side of the body that prevents him from fully using it because it's just like you're locked, like a really bad Charlie horse, if you will. Just the whole body is locked up on one side. So we started working with him on this, but we could tell that he was in a little bit of pain, that he was having a hard time dealing with all of it. And in the midst of us working with it, we realized that his head was slightly deformed and maybe it was part from the pregnancy, maybe I don't know what it was but it had the impact to affect him developmentally. So we had to take him to a cranial institute where he saw a cranial specialist in the middle of the pandemic, he was placed in this little white helmet that was helping him form the shape of his head. And he hated it. He cried all the time. It was tight, it was uncomfortable. He was trying to pull it off. It was miserable for him. And it was miserable for us because we felt helpless. We wanted to help him, we wanted to be there for him, but we couldn't do anything except for pay for the bills that kept coming in every single time that we would go. And it would be weekly trips of going and getting him fitted and getting it tidied and shaving it down and restructuring it on his head and retraining him how to do it. And it was hard. And then once he finally graduates out of his helmet, we thought, yes, we're finally done. But we realized his torticollis had gotten so bad that his head was starting to lean one way now. So now he has to go to physical therapy once a week where he's being trained and exercises to re-strengthen and rebuild those muscles in his neck. And in the midst of all this physical therapy, we realized that he had something called a tongue tie, which means he can't touch the top of his mouth with his tongue, which could develop his speech and he couldn't eat properly. So last Thursday, we had to take him in for a surgical procedure where he had the cartilage under his tongue cut and he bled for hours. And it was terrifying for my wife and I because we once again felt helpless. We couldn't do anything. We could hear him riling and screaming in pain and there was nothing that we could do about it. And it was so overwhelming. But in the midst of every single one of those situations, this verse kept coming back to me. God, we are in such a deep, dark valley right now. God, we are struggling so much right now because we care for him, we love him, we wanna take care of him, but we don't know what to do. We feel overwhelmed, we feel burdened right now. But every single time, God spoke and he said, fear not, for I am with you. Now, he didn't say worry not, because I was worried. <laughs> I had my doubts and I was like, oh my gosh, this is intense. This is crazy. I don't know what we're going to do. But never once did I let fear set in, because I knew God was with me. Because even though we walk through the valleys of the shadow of death, God is with us. You know, as I was preparing the sermon, I started thinking, where do we see significant valleys in Scripture? And how does it relate to maybe what we're experiencing today? And I found four valleys, four valleys that are listed in the Old Testament times that I think we can really relate to today in our current situation. And maybe this is controversial, I don't know. Hopefully it challenges you because that's the goal of my message. But it says this. First one we found is in, the valley, or is in the book of Genesis and it's called the Valley of Siddim. And if you read this story in the Valley of Siddim, pretty much the king of Palestine goes to war against the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah. And in this battle, the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah, they try to retreat and they run into the Valley of Siddim. And the Valley of Siddim is this large tar pit. And it was unknown to them, but they go running into this valley. They get caught up in the tar, they fall down and they end up getting killed. 
And when we look at it and maybe relate it to our situation today, I think the valley of Siddim for us can represent the valley of failure. We are trying to run away from something, but you're getting caught and you're getting stuck. And as I was trying to relate that to a current experience, Pastor Carlos's message kept coming back to my mind. Maybe we're trying to run away from the fact that we're a little bit more racist than we thought that we were. We're a little bit more of a bigot or insensitive to people than we thought that we were. Maybe when we go out, we see injustice happening in the grocery stores, in the streets, in homes, on on neighborhoods, but we choose to do nothing about it. We choose to run away because it's more easy for us not to get involved, not to do something, not to stand up for the least of these, to stand up for the people of God because it's an inconvenience for us. And I think right now in our world, we are in this valley. We are in the valley of failure because we as Christians are failing to respond in a positive way, to change the turn, to change the tide, to to change the current of this world and help show people the true love of Jesus Christ amidst everything that's going on. Second valley we see is found a little bit later in the book of Numbers, and that valley is the Valley of Eshkol. And the Valley of Eshkol, once again, it's a very interesting valley. It's found in the book of Numbers. It's where Moses sends the 12 spies into the promised land. Ten of them come back with this report, and they say, man, this land is beautiful. This land is great. Everything looks good, but there's these inhabitants that live there, these giants that are in this land, and it's overwhelming. We just feel like grasshoppers. And I like this valley because I think the Valley of Eshkol for us, it represents the Valley of Fear the valley of fear, where we have a choice to make. Either we push forward going through our fears or we stay back and we get attacked. And as I was trying to relate this to a current situation, the biggest fear that I could think of right now is this whole topic about wearing face masks. What do we do regarding face masks? Do we wear them? Do we don't wear them? What happens? And I think that there's two different standpoints here. You've got the group of people who decide to wear their mask and they get two responses. First, people say, hey, good job. You're wearing your mask. You're staying safe. Fantastic. But you also get the other people who say, how dare you? You're sacrificing your freedom. You're giving up your liberty. You're just being led like sheep to the slaughter in the midst of your government. You're letting your government control you. How dare you? Do you even have a thought of your own? But then if we decide to take the mask off, both those groups now switch. Where the first group says, how dare you? You don't even care if I live or die anymore. And the second group, what do they say? They say, congratulations, you're standing up for a cause. Good job. What do we do? What is our response when it comes down to this? And I think the bottom line is this. It doesn't really matter what you believe about face masks or not. What matters is what other people believe. Because regardless if you feel that this fear of COVID-19 is justified or not, the fear is real for a lot of people. That fear is real. And never once in scripture did we see Jesus belittle, demean, or challenge people based off of their fear. Never once see that. In fact, he helped relieve them of their fears, even if it was an inconvenience for him, even if it was uncomfortable for him. And we see him doing this all throughout scripture. Not only that, he was always helping people. He kept feeding people even though he knew they'd get hungry again. He kept healing people even though he knew they'd get sick again. He kept raising people from the dead even though he knew they'd keep dying again. He kept listening to people's fears and relieving them of their fears even though he knew they would be afraid again. And I think that one of our greatest responses as Christians right now is to be less concerned about ourselves and more concerned about the people of God. To say, I recognize that you have a legitimate fear. And even if I don't want to wear a face mask, 
even if it's uncomfortable and inconvenient for me, I'm going to do it because I want to show you I care about you. Because I care about you. How powerful is that? When we shift the focus, we don't make ourselves the central figure of the story anymore, and we make the people of God, we make God the central focus. God, we're going to choose to honor you by loving your people. How crazy would that be? And I think that's what God's calling us to do. Regardless if we're comfortable, regardless if it's fashionable, we choose to wear face masks because we know the benefit that it has. The third valley that we see in scripture is the Valley of Allah, and it comes from the book of 1 Samuel. It's a very popular valley. It's where David meets Goliath. And we know the story, Goliath is another giant, and he comes down, and he starts taunting this army. The whole army just cowers in fear of Goliath. And he says, you know, you guys are worthless. You're weaklings. You're nothing. Why even go to battle? Because it's going to be over before you even know it. And I like this valley because I think the Valley of Allah, it's come to represent for us the Valley of Conflict the valley of conflict, where you've got a giant obstacle in front of you. That's what it is. And when I think of giant obstacles that exist in front of us right now, conflict, I can't think of a better topic than the whole idea of staying in an isolation or going out and living our lives, going out and being in public in places. And it's a controversial topic. You get, once again, both sides. People say, you should stay in to stop the spread of COVID. You get people who say, I'm just tired of all of this. I want to get life back to normal regardless of what it costs. And they go out and they do things. It's crazy. Just look at the beaches this weekend. Just look at parks with fireworks. My wife and I were in Tustin last night driving home and looking out and just, it was like a war zone with fireworks going off in Southern California. It's crazy to think about what people are deciding to do. What we need to realize and recognize So our decisions that we make, they don't just affect us. They affect everybody around us. Everybody we come in contact with, everybody that they come in contact with, our decisions go a lot further than just us. And we need to remove ourselves from that central point in the story. You know, back in 250 AD, there was this plague that spread through the Roman Empire. And it was so bad that we saw 5,000 people that were roughly dying a day. And in response to the Christians, they went into the street and they started working with people, ministering to them and helping them in the midst of their ailment. And that was the appropriate response back then. But what's our response to a similar pandemic today? What does that look like? Because I think our response has to be a little bit different. See, I think our response needs to really be social distancing and personal hygiene. Because what the data is showing us that what's needed now for our world more than anything else is not our physical presence but our absence. And I know that sounds controversial. That sounds backwards for us as a church, as a people of God, as Christians, because when history looks back and says, what did the Christians do in the year of 2020? They'll say, oh, they stayed in their homes. They washed their hands and they prayed. But I think that there's power in that. There's a lot of power that exists in that because we live right now in the midst of a culture that's very self-assertive, where you have people who say, listen to me because I'm going to tell you what to do to save yourself. I'm going to tell you what to do to heal yourself. I'm going to give you all the answers you need so you can continue to live. But guess what? Here's the spoiler. Never works. It never works. And when we live in this age of self-assertion, we are missing out on the very heart of the gospel message itself, that mankind cannot save itself. We have tried our entire life, and every single time we have failed. Every single time we have failed, mankind cannot save itself. There's only one person who can save, and that person is Jesus. And the reason why he can save is because he's already paved the way. 
He's already knocked down all the obstacles. He's given us this free gift of salvation, of health, of protection, of comfort, of safety, of light in the midst of darkness. We just have to be willing to accept it. So many of us don't because we choose to say, I'm the central part of the story. I'm going to do what I feel like doing because it's about me. It's not about God. And that's why we're failing. That's why we're getting stuck. That's why we have conflict. That's why we have this fear and panic because we're not looking to God in the midst of our situation. And once again, I think the greatest response as Christians right here, right now in the middle of our culture is to truly show people that we love them. And that one of our greatest responses as Christians is to show our trust in God that he can meet us wherever we're at, that he can meet our needs if we're in the home. We don't have to go out. We don't have to keep doing these things because God is enough. God is more than I could ever ask for. He's more than I could ever possibly need. And I want to grab a hold of that in the midst of my conflict. The fourth valley as I wrap up is this. It's the Valley of Baca. And the Valley of Baca is found a little bit later in the Bible, in the book of Psalms. Everybody who was on the pilgrimage into Jerusalem had to go through the Valley of Baca. And it was this dry, dusty, barren, dirty place where nothing would grow. And I think the Valley of Baca actually represents to us barrenness and grief. Because a lot of us are grieving right now. We're grieving over the injustice that we see happening in the streets and in our world. We feel barren maybe because we feel like God isn't present. Because if he is present, we don't feel him. But God is still there. And he's saying, look, I'm here even in the middle of your grief. I'm here in the middle of your barrenness. You just have to look for me. I'm already here. You've got to be the one that grabs a hold of me in the midst of all this. Because even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, fear no evil for I am with you. I am with you. Not only that, but I think God tells us a few things as encouragement. As we deal with face masks, no face masks, quarantining, no quarantining, social distance, personal hygiene, whatever it may be, I think there's a few things God wants us to know. And the first is this. God says, you are not alone. You need to know that you are not alone. There are three key words that I pulled out of that passage in Psalms. You know what they are? Those three key words are through, with, and shadow. The first one is you pass through the valley. What is the word through? It's a temporary word, which means you're going to get to the other side of it. You're going to make it through. This isn't the end of the story. This isn't the only thing in front of you. It's going to pass through. Second, with. I am with you. You're not alone. You're not alone in the midst of the valleys that you're experiencing. God is with us. The question is, are we with him? Are we grabbing a hold of him and allowing him to work in our lives in the midst of the situation? And the third thing is the word shadow, the shadow of death. See, all of us at some point in time in our lives are going to encounter or come across the shadow of death because it's a natural part of our lives. And unfortunately, I've been around a lot of death, even in my young age in my life. But do you know a few things I have learned about shadows and I've learned about especially death? Three things. First one is this. First, shadows they often appear a lot larger than their real object is. Have you ever seen the shadow of a cat? The shadow of a cat is much larger than the cat is itself. And yet some of us, if we were just to see that shadow, we would be afraid. There's a tiger in my room. There's a lion roaming around in my house. We would be terrified because of the shadow that we see. But then you open the door and it's a little itty bitty kitten, right? You're like, oh, it's so cute. I didn't have to be afraid. Shadows often appear a lot larger than the real object is itself. Second thing about it is this, shadows, they can't hurt you. 
Have you ever heard of anybody who's been attacked by the shadow of a cat? No. There is a big difference between being attacked by the shadow of a cat and being attacked by a cat. I can tell you I have two cats. It's painful. You don't want to be attacked by a cat. But the third and most important thing is this. And if you don't get anything else from my message today, I hope it's this. You cannot have the presence of a shadow without the presence of a light. You cannot have a shadow without the presence of a light. Jesus says, I am the light. And in me, there is no darkness. I am the light. See, folks, our problem, why we're so panicked, why we're so filled with anxiety and fear and confusion in the midst of the situation, in the midst of the pandemic that we're going through right now is because we're focused on the shadow. We're focused on the what ifs. We're focused on the, I don't know what's going to happen, the uncertainty, the doubts, the fear, all of these things. But Jesus is saying, turn around. Turn around because when you choose to look at the light, shadows don't seem that big. The darkness, it's not there. And the light is what gives you hope. It gives you comfort. It gives you encouragement. But the problem is we're focused forward and we're not turning to look at Jesus. And maybe some of us say, well, I, I try to look at Jesus, but he's just not there every time I turn around. And I like that, that phrase because it makes me think of going into the kitchen in the middle of the night. If you go into the kitchen in the middle of the night, what do you do in order to see? you turn the light switch on, right? You turn it on so that way you can accomplish the task at hand. Everything is illuminated. There's no darkness. Everything is great. When you're done, you turn the light off and you walk away. If you go into the kitchen in the middle of the night, you don't turn the light off. It seems like everything in your kitchen is miraculously moved overnight and you hit everything, right? Stub your toes, hit the dishwasher, the oven, everything, pots and pans come falling down. But that's what happens in the darkness, chaos. So you turn the light on so everything is stilled. Now the question is, does the light not exist when the switch is off? No. The light is always on. The current is always running. You have to be the one to engage the light. Same thing is true with Jesus. Jesus is saying, I'm already here. I'm already working in your life. You have to be the one to engage me. You have to be the one to turn me on and stop focusing on your shadows and start looking at the light because in light, there is life. There is healing. But not only that, the second thing that God tells us as I conclude my message is this, that God has a good purpose and a good plan for the valley that we find ourselves in. God's a good God. God doesn't want evil to happen to any of us. He only wants good things to come as a result of it. And he builds our character time and time again as we go through these valleys. And do you know why? Because he wants us to endure through them. And if we endure through them, the third thing he tells us is this, that the reward will last forever. This isn't the end of your story. You will get through this pandemic. You will get through the chaos. You will get through the fear. You will get through the anxiety. And God has something great on the other side of it. In 2 Corinthians 4, it says this, for our present troubles are quite small and they won't last very long. Yeah, they are producing in us an eternal glory that will last forever and is greater than anything that we can imagine. I'm going to call Kim and the worship team to come back out here and lead us in a time of response. Because I think right now we need to recognize the reality of our situation. We're going to go through valleys here on this earth until we get to heaven. Because we live in a broken, fallen, and a corrupted world. And maybe your world is related, or your, your valleys are relationships. Maybe it's financial issues. Maybe it's health issues, mental issues. I don't know what it is. Every single one of us is going through a valley of our own. But God wants to tell you this isn't the end of your story. 
There's something greater. And you know what the difference is in going through a valley between a believer and a non-believer? It's not the presence of the shadow. It's believers, we have the light. We have the light that guides us, that leads us, and that tells us that even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, your perfect love cast out fears. And even when we find ourselves caught in the midst of storms and pandemics and chaos of our life, we won't turn back because we know that God is with us.